The subject is parenting. This is the second part in the series, a two-parter, entitled Instruction with Purpose. Last week was Discipline with Purpose. So today, Instruction with Purpose, and uh, we will be reading from Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. There's a Bible in front of you in the pew if you do not have a Bible. And uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. My sources for uh, this reading and for this message come from Dr. James Dobson's The New Dare to Discipline, uh, Raymond Brown's The Message of Hebrews, and also from J. Hampton Keithley, uh, Responsibilities of Fatherhood, Wilson Benton, his message, Raising Covenant Families, and Roger Thompson, his message, Kids Rule. Deuteronomy 6, we'll read the first 12 verses. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Out of the land of slavery. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, your word. Help us, Lord, to unpack this, to understand it, to make sense of it, to apply it to our lives. Especially, I pray for parents today, that you would assist them as they rear their children in the things of the Lord. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Christian author and speaker Sky Jethani wrote about his kindergarten age daughter's homework assignment, which was help your child identify as many logos as possible. Jethani said that without hesitating, she identified Pizza Hut, Target, Lego. At home, she collected the logos of Disney, Jell-O, and goldfish crackers. Later, while drinking a glass of water, she proudly shouted, That says Ikea! She spotted the tiny logo imprinted on the bottom of the glass, and Jathani reflected this way. He says, Should it scare me that my five-year-old had memorized more corporate brands than Bible verses? 
or even the names of relatives. Also scary was the fact that no one taught her to identify these logos. We didn't have corporate logo flashcard drills at home. Zoe internalized these logos simply by living, living for five years in a brand saturated culture. This sort of brand marketing has been so effective that the average 10-year-old has already memorized between 300 and 400 brands. When these children become adolescents, each with an average of, say, $50 to $100 disposable cash to spend every week or two, they will select from these brands to construct their identities. Identities that they can eat, drink, smoke, drive, play, ride, and wear. Why? Because as one expert puts it, brands are the new religion. Brands are the new religion. And as scary as that is, I have to say, not only because Scripture bears it out, but also because it gives me hope, you and I, we, we cannot save our children. I said this last week, I'll say it again, only God can do that. However, God has given us decrees, commands, principles to share with our children and to teach them. And he's the only one that can shape their heart, but he does ask us, he does command us to do the same, to do what we can do as he works alongside of us. Now, by way of reminder, let's, let's go over what we talked about last week. Discipline means the shaping of the will through training. If you're following me in the outline, discipline means the shaping of the will through training. Instruction means the shaping of the mind through teaching. Instruction means the shaping of the mind through teaching. And this latter part concerning construction, that's what we will focus on today. If you missed last week, then I hope you will give it a listen on our website or on our podcast. Which leads me to several lessons, several principles for this morning. And the first is the principle of education. The principle of education. All right, take our, our text, Deuteronomy 6. And I want you to know that the verses in our text have a distinctive place in Judaism, known as the Shema, the Hebrew term for here, they still form part of the Jewish believers' daily prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. That's verses 4 and 5. And then listen to the next verse, which is verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Notice that it says, on your hearts. It starts with you, mom and dad. The very first priority of a parent is for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is the single greatest thing that you can do for your children. It's also the single greatest thing that you can do for your marriage. Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, then as you learn these decrees, and as you learn the commandments of the Lord, in the process, seeking to keep them in your heart, the Scripture says you're to also impress them upon your children. The people of Israel were to impress the Shema on their children's minds and make it the subject of everyday, natural conversation within the family. 
It takes words. It takes words to teach your children. And that's not just the responsibility of the children's director at church or the student ministry's director at church. It's the responsibility primarily of the parents. Look at verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, parents were to impress the commands and the decrees of God upon their children's minds and make it the subject of everyday conversation within the family. In the early days of of history for Israel, there were two things that kept the home as the center of learning. Number one, the Jews were an agrarian people. They didn't live, live in cities. Where did they live? They lived on farms pretty much. Secondly, the first five books of the Old Testament, the ones that I named for you, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, formed what is called the Law of God, the Torah. And so they were actually hand-printed on large scrolls, which meant that very few copies were available. So, if there's to be any kind of instruction, it was done by word of mouth. In fact, the home at that time was the only Sunday school if you will. And the parents, the only teachers. Oral, verbal teaching was their method, but today you have books, you have the Bible, so read them. Read them to your children. You know, uh, if, if you look anytime you're anywhere, you'll see these. You'll see these in the hands of very young children. Right? And it's become a form of babysitting. In other words, let me occupy my child by giving them my phone or giving them the iPad so that they can uh, do this and, and work on whatever it is, play a game, whatever it is. So, but I, I want to tell you that the New York Times recently ran an article entitled, Turn the Page, Spur the Brain. And it presented findings that showed that reading to children, even reading to infants, is crucial for brain development. They found that exposing children to a video or a picture actually short-circuited the child's imagination. One expert says this, they're not having to imagine the story for themselves. It's just being fed to them. And then another pointed out that children who were exposed to, to reading, quote, showed significantly more activity in the areas of the brain that process visual association, even though the child was listening to a story and could not see any pictures. In short, verbal communication makes your mind and your heart do the work of grasping and imagining the story for yourself. Images tend to feed you what some other person's imagination has created, so it's really not helping them too much to put that in their hands all the time. So what's a parent to read? Well, you know, last week we had a baptism, and we gave from the women in ministry a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. You can read them the Bible in a creative format like the Jesus Storybook Bible. Among the many other benefits is children will, in the process, learn good theology. And see, we're all theologians. So, what is theology? It comes from two Greek words. The word theos, which is the word for God, and logos, which is the word for word, which means basically the study of God and the study of His Word. That's what theology is. Professor and Pastor Sinclair Ferguson, if you've never heard him, he's one of the 
the most captivating speakers you can listen to. And his accent doesn't hurt the, the whole point. But Sinclair Ferguson said this once. He said, we must think theologically in order to live practically. We must think theologically in order to live practically. We must teach our children that we are sinners. That we are sinners without hope of our salvation except in the mercy of God. Which is why we need to repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, and place our trust solely in the person of Jesus Christ, fall upon the grace of God. Jesus who knew no sin but took our sins upon himself. Scripture says of itself, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. So we want our children looking at the world through the lens of the word of God. And that's why we stress the importance of our children in this church learning the catechisms. The catechisms are filled with great theology, and they learn scripture along the path of that. We also encourage our children in the process of Bible drill, where they learn actual memorization of scripture. These are the ways that we hope will come back and bless children as they grow older, all these things they're learning as children. So the first principle is the principle of education. That's the first lesson. Second lesson is the principle of imitation. The principle of imitation. Look at verse 8 of the text in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. I mean, picture a pious Jew who wraps the phylacteries around his left arm every morning, which the phylactery was a kind of a leather box that they would wrap on their arm every morning before getting dressed. Once they were getting dressed, and then they would take a piece of cloth and a part of scripture and tie it around their forehead. So the hand was a symbol of personal commitment, while the forehead was a symbol of personal direction. So some Jews made the use of the phylacteries secured around their forehead a part of their morning prayer. So you might remember that Jesus criticized the use of phylacteries by the, by the Pharisees as a religious form of self-display. Done only for people to see. Do you remember that? Jesus actually rebuked the Pharisees because of how thick their phylacteries were. They padded them with so many scriptures just so that people could actually see them and uh, admire them for their spirituality. But the primary intent of these displays of commitment was to catch the children's attention. Think about that. To catch the children's attention and to catch the children's heart as the parents modeled for them the principles they wished to instill in them. It was the doing of this day after day after day that caught the child's attention. And that's why it was done. And as the parents actually fleshed out the scriptures for their children by example, the teaching of God's word was made attractive. So couple that with the parents' example, and the result was the children of that era wanted to follow the Lord because they saw their parents following the Lord. The late Jim Rayburn was a man who loved kids. He was a man who also loved the Lord. The burning question of his life was this, how do you get kids to fall in love with Jesus Christ? And so this question plagued his soul so much that eventually he decided he had to do something about it. The result was the birth of Young Life. Anybody here ever gone to Young Life? Come on, Young Life. Yeah, there's some of you out there. Young Life is a parachurch ministry that's been used of God to reach students for Christ worldwide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jim Rayburn's brother 
Dr. Robert Rayburn, who helped found Covenant Seminary, was my professor, my preaching professor at Covenant Seminary. He once told me that it was Jim's observation that most kids are not turned off with Christianity, but they're turned off with a caricature of Christianity. Think about that. They're not turned off by Christianity, but with a picture of what Christianity looks like. Their perception of it was that the rigid rules and regulations rob us of the life and the fulfillment that we have through Christ. Here's what Jim Rayburn said. He said, kids see Christianity as a religion of repression, forcing people to do what they don't want to do. It is a sober religion where to laugh is nothing short of sacrilege. Hopefully we as parents have not forgotten that Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The parent who wants to train his child must come to grips with the fact that a relationship with Jesus Christ is not boring. It's not dead. It's exciting. It's alive. And oftentimes whenever our children become turned off with the gospel, we blame it on their lack of commitment. But before we jump to a conclusion like that, we, we do well to look at our presentation of the gospel. It was Jim Rayburn who once said this, It is a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. So, in your outline, beliefs of convenience must at some point become beliefs of conviction. As your children grow up, it's convenient for them to come with you to church and to, to embrace what you embrace but eventually, those beliefs of convenience are going to have to take on beliefs of conviction. And the only way for that to happen is for parents to point their children in both their talk and their walk to their children's need to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And that's the greatest thing that you can teach your children. That their only hope in life or in eternity is the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ who took your place on that cross. The Lord God must become his or her father. Yet more than what we communicate verbally, the importance must be placed on what we communicate to our children by our example. The old axiom goes, example is more forceful than precept. Or as my principal used to say when I was a kid, he was in our church, so I could never get away from him. He used to say, I can't hear what you say for seeing what you do. So, imitation is the second principle in the second lesson. The third is the principle of repetition. The principle of repetition. So, we got the principle of education, the principle of imitation, and thirdly, the principle of repetition. And this comes from verse 9. Deuteronomy 6, verse 9. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So, displaying that you love God on your doorpost and on your gates is a clear message, and it was a clear message to Israel's neighbors, that this was a family who loves the Lord. This is a family that loves God and loves His Word. The small boxes, there were these other boxes containing a, a tiny parchment of, of verses from Exodus and Deuteronomy, and they were called mezuzahs, and these were the ones that were applied to the doorposts. Little boxes containing scriptures. And so I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We've been in Deuteronomy 6. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. 
Interesting to note how Deuteronomy 11 begins. Deuteronomy 11 begins this way. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God and keep his commandments. And it goes on to say in verse 18, fix, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now, again, think about that for a moment. Why would you do that? Because your hands are what you use all day long. And so your hands are to be a symbol of the activities that you're engaged in. And don't forget that everything that you do with your hands is for the glory of God. Why on the foreheads? The mind. To remind you that as you think, you are. So think about the right things. Think about the scriptures that God has taught you. So then he says, teach them, in verse 19, to your children, talking about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So this passage in Deuteronomy 11 outlines four ways that our teaching is to be done, and we'll use the acronym DROP. Okay, so beginning with D, the first way is diligently. Diligently. I mean, parents have a lot of other important tasks and responsibilities, but yet none, none more important, none with greater implications than this responsibility. It must not be taken lightly, parents. It must not. The word diligently means to sharpen, and that which would mean that your teaching must be clear, it must be specific and precise, not in vague generalities. Two, repeatedly, diligently, repeatedly. So this is not a once in a while kind of thing. It should be all the time. Deuteronomy 6 answers the question, when do you teach your children? And the answer is all the time. Look for moments. Look for opportunities. And then third, obviously... Diligently, repeatedly, obviously, the Bible says it's to be done when we sit, walk, lie down, rise up. In other words, we're to look for teaching opportunities by word or by example throughout the everyday activities of your life and home. And when you're feeding your children, when you're clothing them, when you're sheltering them, every single one of these normal events could lead, should lead to teachable moments. So, verse 20 of Deuteronomy 6 says, In the future, when your son asks, What is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees, and the laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him. Tell him what the meaning is. And the Bible goes on to actually give the answer that the parent needs to offer. Basically, it should be obvious. The home. The home, Scripture teaches, is the obvious place. God-given place to communicate and to display the Word of God. One of my sources put it this way. Home is the place where life makes up its mind. Home is the place where life makes up its mind. And then four. Diligently, repeatedly, obviously, and personally. Personally. In other words, you can't always do it as a group. Do it individually with individual kids. What our children learn in Sunday school and church is important, no doubt, but, but we as parents cannot rely on that alone. This passage is speaking to parents, not the church. Training is first and foremost the responsibility of parents, not the church. So, parents, this message is for you. Teach your children the Word of God. And if you are learning the Word of God, then they can learn it with you. 
Which brings us to our verse of the week, which is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's underneath your outline. Let's read this together. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. On this Memorial Weekend, on this Memorial Weekend, I'm reminded of the highly regarded HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers, that my son turned me on to. It follows a company of U.S. paratroopers through the preparation and the experience of invading Europe on D-Day. It's based on real-life events of survivors. The series captures both the intensity of war and the heroism of the troops. The final disc of the six-disc DVD set, it includes video collages from the miniseries of each of the main characters. The collection of shots of Lieutenant Richard Winters gives a powerful picture of a true leader who understands his calling. Not unlike how a Christian parent should view his or her calling in this world. The collage shows Winters charging with his troops into battle, then proudly saluting an officer he's just promoted, and then commenting to a fellow soldier, I don't like to retreat. The quick-moving scenes of the collage close with Winters leading his troops into their most celebrated feat of the war, the Battle of the Bulge, holding the Germans. And so a soldier leaving the front line pulls Winters aside, and he says to him ominously, it looks like you guys are surrounded. Without hesitation, Winters replies, oh, We're paratroopers, Lieutenant. We're supposed to be surrounded. In other words, this is not supposed to be easy. This is our job. We're Christians, and we're surrounded. We're surrounded by a culture that is not at all like the Scriptures teach we're to live. And this culture is doing anything and everything it can to corrupt our children. You know that. So we're fighting a battle. We're fighting a battle for the hearts and the minds of our children. So let's quit excusing ourselves, but relish the fight, praying daily for the Lord to guard the hearts of His children and to use us in the battle for their very souls. Let's pray together and pray for our children as we close. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your word, which is truth and life to all those who find it. And so, Lord, help us to learn your word, to be students of your word, and to exemplify that to those who are living in our own homes. We pray for our children. And, Lord, as we're praying now, I know parents are praying for their children by name. We pray that you would touch their hearts, Lord. You've given them to us as a gift. And may we take that, that stewardship very seriously. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. I pray that our children will understand the grace and mercy of the Lord. That they might know that you are always there. You are always approachable through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name on behalf of our children and even on, on behalf of our grandchildren. And those of us who don't have any children, we pray for the children of this church, that you will bless these children, Lord, 
watch over them and they're going and they're coming that they might know you and love you with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.